0: hunter hello we're talking about greek life mm. currently what are your thoughts on greek life
1: mm, greek life uh <laughs> my experience from our college that we went to was not very positive um i actually initially decided to go through the greek process and rushed she's like right
0: there no no no. you're fine you can continue so you decided to rush
1: decided to rush i went through a couple of events at different fraternities and got invites for interviews
0: wow how many invites did you get
1: pretty much everyone i
0: everyone really even
1: ones that i didn't show up at it was kind of weird all right okay all right all right but um I had a few mutual friends that were in one particular fraternity, and so I thought, you know, I'd just give it a shot, and went to the interview, and recognized a few people at the interview, and they had us waiting, and the living room as they brought people. The
0: living room of the frat house. Okay.
1: Yeah. And you know, this was actually the day before Valentine's Day and you know, freshman year of college you're kind of going out for every holiday. And so we had gone out the night before. I think I was still drunk at the interview. But um, yeah, a lot of the guys were talking Um, prior to their turn for the interview and it was pretty, um, disturbing the conversations that they were having, um, prior to the interview. (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, How
0: were they disturbing?
1: Well, a couple other guys had rushed the semester before. And so they were familiar with the process, but also had been to some of the parties and had mentioned multiple girls who they had all slept with. And they were making tallies of every guy in the fraternity who had slept with her and passing it around. (laughs) And so, yeah, that kind of put me in a a state that, you know, I I knew this wasn't for me, but...
0: So were they, like, saying that everyone rushing for the fraternity had to sleep with this girl, essentially? Or is that too bold of an assumption? It seems like the vibe was, like, saying that all these men had slept with the same woman who were, like, already in the fraternity, like, kind of signaling that it was somewhat initiatory of an event but like did they actually directly say that or was it kind of implied?
1: It was more implied and more like they were encouraged to try to become one of the tallies of what I had been discussing earlier so I wouldn't say they said that directly but it was definitely almost like it was a challenge to see How many of them could sleep with a particular individual.
0: That's so horrible and disturbing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, definitely new that that it's not something that I wanted to be a part of. So
0: was that like just the one fraternity house that you went in? Were there other alarming experiences about the rush? situation or was that the main one
1: that was the main one that was the only one I chose to interview at because that was
0: you had friends
1: yeah I had friends there um, and the president was actually a friend of my sister so I had known him growing mm. up and mm. interesting
0: yeah. do you still talk to these men
1: uh, I I don't I mean I know them through people but I won't say any of them are any close friends or acquaintances Got it. But I did continue to interview <laughs> because I was there and the first question that asked me was <laughs> what can you bring to this fraternity? And knowing <laughs> that I didn't want to be a part of this fraternity, I had recently listened to some two chains the night before. And when they asked me what I could bring to the fraternity, I said, pussy, money, and weed. (laughs) And three different (laughs) fraternity members got up and Looked me in the eyes and yelled at me and said, this is a professional setting. You oh cannot say these words in our house. They take it so seriously
0: and then they turn around and like drug women and like exactly. sexually assault them. Like they, like how do they take themselves so seriously? Like you asked me earlier how I felt about Greek life and I do feel like it's mostly a pretty toxic system. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, it, it's sad because I think of like, I mean, as far as I'm, as far as I know, it's only in the United States that we have fraternities and sororities, Greek life. It's only in the U.S. Yeah, and it's it's sad to me that we need to create a organization like that in order to have a sense of community with each other. Because uh, I think that in most places you can just become, you know, make friends. And there's more activities, events that are like free that you can make friends in, and in the, like often just feels like a business to me, Greek life. Like, you know, why do you have to pay to have friends?
1: Yeah, and I never, I mean, maybe in some circumstances, but they never seem like real, authentic, genuine friendships that people are yeah. making. They are always kind of built on these superficial foundations. And yeah, of I, course, I... I don't know, you always hear sorority girls saying that they find their soul sister, but, you know...
0: well I don't know the thing I feel like the thing about that is like any woman I feel like I've I've you know if you're like most women are really nice and like if you're around a woman a lot then you're gonna become good friends and like I've met I've met a lot of like really close female friendships that I like value in the same way as like a girl might say that but like maybe it like makes a different framework of like how you talk about friendship like how you talk about a girl who's really important to you Like, I have the same, maybe, like, feelings for girls that I'm friends with, but I would articulate it a different way than, like, a sorority girl might say of her sorority sister. Does that make sense? That makes
1: sense. But I don't think they, like, aren't genuinely friends. I agree, but you oftentimes, you know, with social media, you see, like... Almost like after a week of girls going through their business yeah I mean I'm yeah. like, so lucky that I found my soul sister. And you know, you're telling me that's the same as your <laughs> friendships that you have?
0: Yeah, I mean no. I don't think it is. <laughs> okay. I don't think it is, but I just like I also just like really don't want to hate on it because I, I think I'm not I think sororities on it. are just... like a lot less harmful than fraternities. I disagree. How?
1: I have multiple friends who have been through sororities, and you think I'll give you an example of part of their rush process. They would have girls stand on a washing machine. Wait, the, in
0: in our generation.
1: Our generation, two years above me. This Damn. girl, they had her stand on a washing machine, turn the washing machine on, and have. Their sorority sisters with a sharpie circle every area on them that jiggles.
0: Uh, yeah, no, I've heard about this before, but I and didn't so think it's still happening. That
1: is just as good.
0: Well, I don't think that's as harmful as like fraternities who are like sexually assaulting and drugging girls and raping them. No, but how is that? I used to. I got invited to a fraternity when I was like
1: different aspects. I mean, yeah, okay, I'm not agreeing with anything that the fraternity does, but what does that do to a girl's side? No,
0: yeah, I mean that's definitely is also bad, that, and I'm, I'm not defending that. Yeah,
1: that is something that.
0: Yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah, no, I mean that's so fucked you, up. You, you but you I do think me, like overall, me. there's more like. Like, like um, immediate danger in like fraternity and fraternal spaces than sororities. And there's
1: probably a lot more long-term effect on sororities.
0: Well, it's a lot harder to control things that are like long-term effect. Like we can like, m- we, you know, I mean, obviously it's important to think about the psychological implications of everything. Yeah. But like at the same time, like when you're talking about like um, assault, I think that's like something that can be, immediately addressed and you can address it in a more... I agree, um, but a lot
1: of these things that stories do could be immediately addressed too just because they're not having this that's also bad but like bullying someone that is is direct
0: bullying no bullying someone is different than like sexually assaulting them i mean bullying is still bad but i just think i mean i guess it's not it's not a it's not a pissing contest we don't have to debate on which is worse i mean it's all bad but i do think yeah but i think i mean it's worse that fraternities are like sexually assaulting people i know i really get pissed off about fraternities because when i was in high school i had some friends who were a few years older than me And then when I was still in high school and they were, like, at art college, I would get, like, they would, like, invite me to the frat house parties and be, like, getting me drunk as, like, a 17-year-old girl. Yeah. And I was, like, oh, yeah, these are my cool friends. Like, you know, like, they're inviting me because, like, they're older, but they think I'm cool. When I'm, like, obviously, that's horrible that they're inviting this, like, adolescent girl to a frat house where there's, like, boys from, like, anywhere from, you know, I'm sure, like, 18, but, like, also to, like, you know in their 20s and it's like inappropriate that they were like inviting us into the spaces getting us drunk so I'm pretty Mm -hmm. I feel pretty heated about the frat houses
1: Yeah,
0: but sororities are also harmful I mean I agree with this and I think it's just really an outdated concept and I just don't really understand like the point of keeping it around yeah I
1: mean I don't
0: think they're
1: going away anytime soon they're so deep founded in our universities but you do see them slowly getting banned from these universities too so we are recognizing you know these things that uh, fraternities and sororities are doing so i mean i think at least people are becoming more aware of them which is a step in the right direction and um you know a lot of times uh takes time to make a significant change. Like, we can't just abolish fraternities and sororities over the course of a year or several years. Or so, I mean, I think we just need to continue to educate people and make them aware of what is going on around the yeah. university. Stop
0: having a superiority <laughs> complex for being in Greek life, okay? Like, you're not better than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. It's really annoying when people have a superiority complex about it. And yeah, I definitely like lost friends to sororities where I feel like we were like good friends before. But then they joined the sorority and that was like all they had time for. Mm-hmm. like they would totally. like dip bail on me and they'd be like oh I'm so sorry like I'm on my way like I'm late but I'm just with my sorority sisters like you understand mm-hmm. I'm like no, I don't understand yeah. I'm not like your second class friend just because I've been not in your fucking sorority <laughs> yeah. that shit pissed me off I did lose some friends to the sororities oh, <laughs> I'm not bad. gonna lie I and did
1: I feel like you know it's funny I feel like it's so intense the first couple of years for people to join sororities and they slowly drift out of that and you know, they, they recognize that, you know, after their time of college and a lot of them, I feel like honestly, like, you know, don't have many positive things to say reflecting back on it, but that, yeah, that initial time is <laughs> kind of crazy how much a person can change. Yeah. Zero is is petroleum free?
0: Is petroleum bad? We're talking about ChapStick, everybody.
1: Now <laughs> we're recording.
0: Yeah, I just started it. Okay, my ChapStick is the Vaseline Lip Therapy Rosy Lips, and it doesn't have the ingredients on it, so I'm looking up the ingredients. But what's wrong with petroleum?
1: It's bad for you. Why? Look it up.
0: You look it up. I'm already looking something up. What's over here? Whatever I I need like one of the Like what's Joe Rogan's Assistant's name (laughs) Yeah I fucking hate Joe Rogan Yeah Fuck Joe Rogan But like Yeah yeah, okay The number one ingredient Is petroleum (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god (laughs) What's wrong with petroleum though Give me a
1: second I mean one, petroleum is in
0: Okay, it says it adds a sheer pink tint to your lips. And I swear, I don't know, people always say my lips are, like, pink, and it's because of this.
1: They do. Like, I thought you were in lipstick.
0: No, this is all I'm wearing.
1: So that is making your lips pink, and you're telling me that's not bad for you? I don't think it's bad.
0: <laughs> but I think my lips are already... I, it's not. It doesn't make them that much pinker. I think it's it looks like really
1: you're wearing red lipstick. Okay, right no, now. okay, no.
0: It's not that intense. Your
1: body right. is having a no, reaction. No, no,
0: no. Look.
1: It, no, it looks like your red lipstick. No,
0: it's, it's not. Look! I,
1: I wish you guys could see her lips.
0: This is what like. they actually look like. Okay, this right is getting too lipstick. extreme. This is getting too extreme. Okay, <laughs> we're reeling it back in. But you need to tell me why you think petroleum is bad.
1: Uh, I'll give you...
0: Have you heard about, while you're looking it up, have you heard of the radium girls?
1: Radium girls, no.
0: Okay. Enlighten me. Um, so the radium girls were, I believe in like the 80s. I have to look it up. But it was essentially like, um, they used to be these girls who worked in factories and they painted radium onto watches for men in the army. I mean, probably at this time there were only men in the army. Maybe a few women. I don't know. But they used radium to paint the watches so that they would glow in the dark. But radium is, like, super toxic for you. Mm. Like, I mean. Like petroleum. (laughs) Maybe. To be determined. Wait, wait, let me finish the story. Like, their jaws were falling off because they would, like, tip dip the paintbrushes in radium and then, like, like, go, like, lick it to, like, make it pointy and then paint the watches. And they were ingesting radium. They would, like, glow. Mm. And all these women were dying. All these people who worked in the factories, they had, like, their jaws were falling off. It was really fucked up. That is fucked up. And basically, doctors were like being paid by the companies to like keep it quiet. So it was really fucked up. Um, that was in okay, 1917, in the early 1920s. They were told that it was harmless. The paint that made the watches glow in the dark. All right, did you find the petroleum situation? Well, I just
1: googled why is petroleum bad, and I didn't even have to scroll down very far. Yeah, I'm, but if I'm, you could look up why is
0: anything bad, and you could find the first that. Thing. I'm looking for
1: spinach bag. Its combustion contributes to polluting emissions. So one, you're supporting something that is polluting our environment, so obviously, you know, you're not very support. Okay, well guess what? Especially of carbon dioxide, one of the most dangerous of the greenhouse gases. (laughs)
0: you're reading this so dramatically i like human contributions
1: of greenhouse gases have been modified (laughs) the atmospheric greenhouse layer which plays an important role in moderating the global temperatures but also you know obviously petroleum
0: obviously (laughs) (laughs) all right mister
1: and its refined state is what they use to produce gasoline and so so what? That so, doesn't prove
0: your point at all. So you're
1: basically putting what we use to fuel our cars. Like, how could that? Okay, be? you
0: could use anything to fuel a car. First of all, but yeah. Second of all, but if you said it said you make
1: to make gasoline, you're yeah, but you it, it, just because it's a
0: component in gasoline doesn't the, mean it's you're, bad.
1: You're putting what they use to make gasoline on your lips, and you're Whatever. telling me this is the best chapstick.
0: Yeah, I don't care. I still like this chapstick. I don't give a fuck. Okay, five reasons why uh, overeating spinach can be problematic. It limits your calcium absorption. When you eat too much spinach, oxalic acid binds with calcium and formates... Blah. And forms... I literally can't, like, speak these biochemistry words anymore. Oxalates, insoluble salts, insoluble salts in your intestine. These salts limit the calcium absorption by your body. You may develop kidney stones, nitrate can be dangerous, um, interaction with medications. Everyone has kidney stones. All right, whatever. I'm just saying the point is that anything you look up could be bad. But I have a good question that I thought about for you, so let's ask it, okay? Are you ready? All right. So first thing I wanted to say is that, first thing I want to ask you about is your mom was a yoga teacher, or is a yoga teacher, right?
1: Yeah, she kind of stopped uh, during the pandemic because she didn't want to do Zoom yoga. But she will occasionally work retreats and teach yoga, but not on a regular basis anymore.
0: And was she doing that your entire life?
1: Since I was five.
0: Okay. And how do you think that affected you?
1: I mean, definitely, I wasn't raised religious by any means or any standards but it definitely instilled a certain type of value that i recognized growing up um being involved in many of your classes and whatnot not knowing these values were being instilled with me but um, a lot of yoga practice does have um, you know traditions from the Buddhist culture, so I think a lot of those values that they, um, practice in their yoga, um, have shaped, uh, the way that I view things and, um, kind of how I live my life.
0: I feel like it probably would affect them a lot, too. Totally. Grow up around that. Yeah. Very cool. Were you aware that this was like a spiritual religious thing do you think when you were growing up or it just felt like something normal that was around
1: no it felt pretty normal because i didn't have much to compare it to Mm -hmm. um so i just kind of thought it was typical i mean not
0: that it's not normal
1: yeah i mean i definitely could recognize the differences because i do have other family members that are of more common religions in the United States. Um, so yeah, I, I did notice the difference and, um, you know, I could maybe have like a hard time relating to other religions because of the practices that I was more commonly exposed to. But I think ultimately I didn't really recognize it until I was older. Because as a kid, you're... No, that uh, makes sense. I was just curious.
0: Yeah. Just curious. Okay, so another thing about you is that you're really into rock climbing. Or at least have been throughout yeah, like the totally. period of time that I've known you. So how did you get involved with that?
1: So one of my childhood friends was in town. Um, and he was kind of had been getting into climbing over the last year and we were talking about hanging out and asked me if I wanted to go outside climbing with him and you know I had climbed at like maybe a birthday party or something before like at
0: a um indoor yeah indoor gym but
1: maybe when I was like in elementary school um but you know I'm loved outdoors and Love new experiences. So he said he had an extra pair of shoes. And so he took me outdoor climbing before I had really been to a climbing gym and just fell in love with it. And actually the next day I had signed up for a local gym and had a few friends that I knew that I hit up and started climbing. And, you know, I really loved it. And Kind of, you know, at first, you know, I just had one climbing partner who was one of my good friends. And we had taken a climbing class to get certified to lead climb together. And then she broke her arm. And so after that, I really didn't have anyone to climb with. I had kind of just been going by myself. But um, I knew a lot of people at my work were also interested in the outdoors. So I had invited a friend to the climbing gym with me, and he really enjoyed it. And then it was actually really cool. Um, after that, um, we slowly just kept inviting people at work to come to the climbing gym. And everyone got hooks. um i think with after like a couple months we had maybe like 10 of our coworkers sign up for the climbing gym so that's kind of really when um i went headfirst into it um having that big community of people always having someone to go to the gym with always having someone push you and you know just being able to um have that community and have that community with the people you work with was pretty cool
0: totally yeah and so how did you get better until the point and like your climbing experience until the point that you did the climb
1: the climb yeah so i mean there's a big difference between climbing indoors and climbing outside climbing inside you really don't need a ton of knowledge i mean you kind of are in this controlled environment where the staff will give you the basic training to be able to go to the gym by yourself and you need very limited gear you only need your climbing shoes a harness and belay device but um as an ambitious group of people we all wanted to you know climb outside and with uh you know big trend that climbing had gained and all the documentaries like free solo and maru so yeah we all just like slowly um started climbing outside which motivated us more to climb harder in the gym and it was a pretty cool process because we were all at similar climbing levels and um We're slowly improving together, and we all had this huge stoke to keep climbing. Um, Can you
0: say we had a huge stoke to keep climbing? mm -hmm. Damn, all right, that's the lingo. You guys were stoked on climbing.
1: Stoked on climbing, and all eventually, you know, just started climbing outside every weekend and exploring new places and, you know, really finding the love to be outside and challenge ourselves and you know push our limit and that's one thing that i do love about climbing (laughs) is you just physically push yourself (laughs) so your body cannot and you know there's not much risk in climbing at the gym and i i think you know like a lot of people would say that climbing is a very dangerous sport and it does have very high risk, um, but you know a lot of those risks are also preventable. Um, the American Alpine Club does an accident report every year, um, which people submit their accidents to. And if you look through those reports, you know probably ninety-five percent of those accidents are from very simple mistakes and could have been preventable which is something that i think is you know kind of disturbing and um has kind of instilled this huge sense of safety in the way that i climb and that my friends climb these days and i know i think that kind of hits home to me more recently because i did have an accident um In the last year, in which probably could have been prevented as well.
0: Can you tell us about that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so me and probably my closest climbing partner were...
0: You can say his name or like a fake name for him. Or just like a nickname you can call him for the... Because it's going to be easier for you telling the story.
1: Yeah, uh, we'll just say... Brick
0: <laughs> Brick No
1: <laughs> Me and Rick
0: <laughs> No and I you... said brick <laughs> Me and brick Okay you and Rick Me no, and I'm
1: Stone just... Okay okay Yeah me and Stone No
0: it's not It's not funny Cause that's funny Cause it's like brick <laughs> Like it sounds similar <laughs>
1: Okay
0: Oh my god Okay Okay Rick Let's call him Rick
1: Okay <laughs> me and brick <laughs> Um <laughs> had been planning a trip to Yosemite and had this big goal of doing this iconic alpine climb called Cathedral Peak. And, you know, last minute we were driving down there and this climb probably took around eight hours. So we realized. That, did
0: you eat snacks?
1: Uh, well, we were we were still driving, um, but we had this plan to do this climb. And oh. so like on the drive down there, we realized like we're not going to have enough time that day to do the climb. And so we were trying to figure out a climb to do that was shorter and on the way um, before we did that climb. And as we we're driving down, we were texting one of our coworkers and had heard of this kind of like secret climb in this canyon that was uh, on the way to Yosemite. And it's kind of a secret climb because uh, it was illegally bolted. Um, typically in climbing, you have to get a permit from the National Forest to bolt the climb. But this climb was illegally bolted, so there's, like, no information online about it. Um, and we were fortunate enough to know a friend who had the coordinates to it.
0: I'm like, sounds fake. <laughs> yeah. Sounds
1: kind of fake. But, yeah, so we had gotten the coordinates probably, like, 30 minutes before the turnoff to get to the climb. And we... Put the coordinates in and like pull off the road and we're like, should we do this? And <laughs> we had talked about it and it was a eight pitch multi-pitch climb, but it was a sport climb. And
0: can you explain what eight pitch multi-pitch means?
1: Yeah. So a multi-pitch is a climb that is longer than the length of your rope. And so they break it up into pitches. And so... Um at each pitch, there will be an anchor. Um, and so essentially, you'll belay your partner up to the anchor and then he belays you up and you just break the climb up because, you know, for instance, this climb was around 900 feet and we had a 200 foot rope. And so obviously you can't get to the top in one pitch. And so the climb is broken up and it was a sport climb which is a lot safer than the climbing that we had been doing which is called traditional climbing. Mm -hmm. And in traditional climbing, you climb along a crack system and you have different types of pro known as cams or nuts that you use as protection versus in sport climbing, they have bolts that are drilled into the wall so you know they're secure and so it's a lot safer it's a lot easier a lot less gear and so we had a ton of confidence that we could do this climb and so we decided to do it roll up in the parking lot and see another individual there and i guess this canyon is also well known for bird watching and so we start gearing up with our climbing gear and this individual starts talking to us and he asked us if we were climbing and you know, knowing this climb was kind of secret. We didn't want to say too much, but we did say we were climbing and he said, Oh yeah, like I was hiking around and you know, I saw the bolts to the climb and You know, not to be offensive or anything, but this guy was someone who looked like he wasn't in the best shape. So that gave us, you know, a little more insight that this climb was maybe somewhere close and not far. So we decided both to just bring 16 ounces of water and no food and very limited gear and not extra clothing. (laughs) Um, and then we start hiking up.
0: Maybe you shouldn't have judged that guy by his looks.
1: Probably shouldn't have, <laughs> um, but. But you it, know he
0: wasn't in shape.
1: But in that time and frame, that's what we judged our decision on what to bring our gear. And so we start hiking up to this climb, which is about three and a half miles, but it's like 3000 vertical gain. And so Damn. it's pretty strenuous, and we get to the base of where we think the climb is, and then it's another 800-foot ascent up to the cliffside on this skull field of rocks. And it took us another couple hours just to find the climb.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And then we were thinking, like, there's no way this guy found this climb. Like, us... Like, searching for this climb way off the trail field.
0: Maybe there's more than one?
1: No, there's only one. And so, we finally get to the climb, start gearing up. (laughs) Typically, like, when you're doing a multi-pitch with someone, you always, like, find some silly way to see who starts the climb. And, you know, in the past, we'll, like, rock, paper, scissors, or something along those lines and rick oh, said let's flip a coin and then we both realized we don't have a coin and then i asked siri to flip a coin and then realized we had no service and so we decided to flip a rock it's like
0: bad things getting worse
1: yeah we decided well that that that's the moment we realized like we we're out of service but um we flipped a rock and, you know, based on how the rock landed, it ended up that I led the pitch first. And so I started climbing and man, this was like one of the most fun climbs that I had ever done. We were just on cloud nine, having the best time, uh, laughing, smiling, um, just really enjoying ourselves. Having fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember both of us at one point were like, we're going to quit our jobs and just be climbers (laughs) because we were just having the greatest time. Um,
0: and that's the most affection you can have with among male (laughs) friendships. Just kidding. Okay. That's for another day conversation. Okay. (laughs) That's really sweet though. That's cute, but no, that's cute though. I'm saying like that's good, but.
1: Anyways, um, we had gotten to the second-to-last pitch. And I had blade my partner up to the pitch. And he had set up an anchor. And with multi-pitch climbing, because oftentimes you are very far apart. You have very specific commands that you use to communicate with each other. And so during one of the communication parts of the climb, we had miscommunicated where I had thought that he had put me on belay, meaning that he uses a belay device to put the rope through and essentially this device catches you if you fall. Um, so at that moment, the next step, um, essentially is where you start climbing. And so I thought I was on belay. I started climbing and a couple feet above the anchor, I had fallen. And so I started falling, kept falling, (laughs) saw the whole bundle of rope below my feet and realized that I was not on belay and that I was going to continue to fall. And, you know, knowing how long the rope was and how far the prior pitch was, you know, I was sure that, you know, I would hit the ledge from the pitch prior. And so in my mind, falling at least 80 feet, I would think that, with that amount of distance that I would probably die.
0: Did you um, realize that in the moment?
1: I did. I, How
0: long do you think you were falling for?
1: Probably only like three or four seconds. But, okay, but that all
0: ran through your but brain.
1: That all ran through my mind and, you know, I thought I had this big realization, you know, I'm not going to make it and, you know, I for a moment got like this like profound sadness that you know i felt guilty for my family that you know i would gonna put them through this and then you know i felt sad for myself because i'm also pretty young and still had a lot of life to live um but then actually the craziest feeling i think was that I got this you know sense of peace with it all you know that I became okay with like the result of it um but um thankfully somehow I had flipped over the areth which is the edge of where two rocks meets and um missed the ledge that I thought I was going to hit and fell another 40 feet into essentially the air. It was more overhung and then came to a stop and was alive. And <laughs> it was the biggest shock to me. Um, you know, I had to take a few moments to just take that in. But then, you know, following that distance, I knew that something had to be out of place. And so I kind of like scanned my body um, to see, you know, if anything felt abnormal. And, you know, my hands were bleeding pretty profusely. And then I heard Brock yell down to me and ask if I was okay. And I yelled back to him to let him know that I was still there and he asked if i could climb and so i tried to stand up to climb and i couldn't move my legs um and i thought to myself having some medical background that i'd like broken my neck or had a spinal cord injury and whatnot and (laughs) then i yelled back to him that i could not (laughs) um so he hoisted me up using a mechanical advantage, um, which thankfully we had practiced the week prior. And it's a very complicated system, so I was lucky that we had run through those symptoms. And he hoisted me back up to where I fell and then rappelled down to me. And um, you know, at that point, point i had like started to get a little movement back in my legs um and you know i was grateful also that he happened to be an er physician probably could have been climbing with a more
0: prepared prepared person
1: (laughs) Um, but then the craziest thing happened which was uh you know prior to that Climb. We had tried to use Siri and realized we didn't have service. But Siri randomly went off on his phone and said, "Is everything okay?" And whoa, really? Yeah, that's wild. That was pretty crazy. Um, More
0: proof that they're listening to us at all times. Yeah,
1: totally. And that was one moment. I was okay with them listening, but we had that realization that Siri went off that we had service. And so he immediately called 911 and told them briefly what happened and where we were at. And then within a few seconds, lost service and like with his knowledge, knowing what happened, he knew that like we would need some sort of helicopter or search and rescue or some type of support. Um, But it had also been a very smoky day, so we had very little hope that we would get any type of that support. And also that, you know, the 911 response even heard what we had relayed to them. So we kind of kicked it into this fight or flight mode, knowing that I had survived this fall, but we were 800 feet up on a cliff in a very deep canyon with no one else around so we kind of just knew that we had to keep it together and had to get off this cliff and (laughs) so we i can't
0: imagine
1: yeah (laughs) and so we started our descent uh i couldn't really walk or hold on to anything and so he lowered me to a pitch and it took us about five hours to get off the mountain and it was pitch black <laughs> and you know my what he-
0: time was it when you fell do you think
1: I probably fell around five and probably got to the ground about 10
0: okay
1: and you know we did bring headlamps uh, you know, because thankfully. thankfully, but mine got ripped off when I fell. And so I had taped my phone to my mouth to use a flashlight. To your mouth? <laughs> what do you mean? Because I couldn't hold on to anything. So I had to use the flashlight off my phone um, to be able to see where the anchors were when we were descending. Because if you descend... But your
0: mouth, what do you mean? You... So Not I put... Not like your head?
1: No, cause... Because I had to like hold my phone to my mouth to see where we were going because it was pitch black by the time we were, you know, a couple hours in. Um, So we finally got to the ground and uh, we were still, you know, probably 800 feet up on a cliff side and not thinking we were going to get any support. We kept moving forward and um, only having about 16 ounces of water for the last 10 hours uh, our initial thought was to go down and get water by a nearby lake but we decided to try to get down first and i thought i'd broken my pelvis and so brock made like an impromptu pelvic binder cuz you can bleed out of your pelvis and so he used my belt Um, Cut a couple holes in it and binded my pelvis together and then used the tarp from my rope and dragged me down this Schofield of rocks and maybe about like halfway down, um, we saw some headlights in the distance and, you know, we're hoping that was a search and rescue team. So we stopped and also didn't want to kick rocks onto them and then... About 20 minutes later, we had two search and rescue guys at our site, and they told us that they had been communicating with a naval search and rescue base, and they agreed to fly because all the other air flights and care flights denied it because of the smoke. And then the helicopter came and hoisted me out of there.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Insane.
1: Yeah. It was pretty intense and pretty pretty lucky that everything that went right did.
0: Yeah, that's really insane that that happened to you. And then you were taken in the helicopter to the hospital.
1: Yeah, and so the initial plan was for them to because they're not a medical transport helicopter they were going to just fly me to mammoth and then transfer me to one of the air ambulances or air helicopters but all of those denied the call so they actually made exception and um Flew me to one of the trauma centers. But first we had to refuel. So we actually stopped in Mammoth for an hour and a half to refuel the helicopter. Oh, wow. And then they flew me to one of the trauma centers.
0: And do you remember all that? Like all the commute in the, the every, helicopter?
1: Every detail. <laughs> wow. Because. Were you like
0: an extreme amount of pain at that point? Did they give you medicine?
1: Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever experienced anywhere near that amount of pain Uh, and so the they had like a EMT I guess on the naval base but he wasn't able to get an IV on me I don't know if it was that I was so dehydrated and my blood pressure was super low um so I probably didn't have great access but he wasn't able to get a line or give meds so I didn't get any meds until I went to the hospital
0: jeez uh
1: they didn't give you any
0: meds yeah
1: and then even when i got to the hospital they were you know they're in their typical trauma protocol and don't think i they realized that i hadn't gotten any meds when you fought
0: a fucking mountain and they won't give you any meds that's insane okay wow well that's horrible and so what were your injuries that you actually did sustain from that
1: Uh, I broke my sacrum, my tailbone, I had a pneumothorax, so my lung collapsed, Uh, I tore several tendons in my hands, and then just a bunch of lacerations and abrasions. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The tendons in your hand, was that from, like, trying to grab on to stuff?
1: I think so, yeah. I also, I think, which I learned was probably the most... um, critical injury i lacerated my esophagus um from the rope getting tangled around my neck which i guess you know can cause you to become septic and a lot of times i guess with that form of sepsis that it's there's no real treatment for it
0: whoa jeez yeah so do they give you antibiotics yeah. preventatively for Got that antibiotics. well also probably because you had so many like lacerations and stuff they might have given mm. you antibiotics anyways
1: scanned my whole body wow. um, but yeah
0: wow well thank you for telling the story mm-hmm. and then what drove you to revisit that climb after such a traumatic experience
1: mm, I think and
0: can you tell them how you like came to the decision to do that? And what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So actually this last month I redid the climb, uh, which is basically about a year out from when it originally happened. Um, really? Yeah.
0: Wow. Just
1: a little over a year. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I think for me, you know, I had this huge debate initially after the accident, whether I was going to continue to climb. Um again and whether it was selfish to climb again and i think my accident had a huge effect on my family and friends and you know i thought that it wasn't right to ever put them in that situation again (laughs) um so for the first few months i didn't actually climb and thought about giving it up but i don't know i think just because it took away something from me that brought me so much joy and so much love in my life that, you know, I kind of just wanted to reclaim that and not let um, something like that um, be taken away from me. So I just wanted to get back out there and kind of overcome that fear and, you know, know if I could do that in my life that, you know, it would translate into other aspects too
0: very cool and did you do it with rick again
1: yeah me rick and a couple other friends
0: very cool and how did it feel to do it
1: it felt great i mean (laughs) i think i had manifested it so much and i also received some therapy, um, from someone who specialized in trauma. And so I had done a lot of mental work and physical work to get back out there. And, um, they yeah, honestly, you know, I thought it would be kind of, uh, scary and spooky and unnerving, but it felt, you know, really easy and felt right. And um just felt like something that was
0: that you wanted to do yeah i don't know and uh, was it very um emotional
1: to do it again yeah yeah totally i mean i definitely cried a little at the top when we finished and (laughs) you know had this big emotional response driving home from it but
0: makes sense yeah yeah, that's very cool. And do you think you'll do you have any interest in doing it again or No. No. <laughs> I don't just, want, yeah, yeah, want and done, yeah. yeah. Why would do it again? Did, and did um the people who were with you also do it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, very everyone cool. did it and I did it with the same partner originally and yeah.
0: That's really cool. Do you think that um there's anything specific in your therapy or physical or mental therapy that really helped you come to this conclusion to pursue it again
1: Mm, I think you know I think mostly my family encouraging me to you know I think they saw how much that I loved climbing and how big of a part of my life it was and you know I had that battle of whether it was you know, selfish or not to keep climbing and they were more supportive and encouraging me to get back out there and do it again and understood the risks and were okay with it and so I think realizing that they were okay with it gave me that kind of uh, inspiration and reassurance that you know it was something that I wanted to do very cool
0: yeah very cool well, I'm glad that you did that and that it was safe and it yeah, know, was probably cool. really healing for you to have that full circle. Totally. Can you speak at all um, to your experience with the healthcare system?
1: Yeah. Do so, you want to? Totally. Yeah. I mean, um, I've worked in the ER the last four years and been involved with a lot of pre-hospital care and other forms of healthcare such as ski patrol and I'm actually on the local search and rescue team which (laughs) probably was the hardest thing for me to get rescued by a search and rescue team being a member of the local team Um, but yeah um, I think the biggest you know eye opener for me um was our biggest, um, or my biggest realization was our like hardship with insurance and with people not being insured and how hard it is to, um, maintain insurance. Um, I think with my accident you know i had just turned 26 so i had lost my insurance that i was fortunate to have with my parents and so there were a few months where i didn't have insurance and um, actually like a month prior i had a conversation with one of my friends and we both decided we're like yeah we do some pretty risky stupid shit like maybe we should get some insurance in case something crazy were to happen and so i had applied to some insurances and you know not knowing the process very well uh i talked to an insurance agent and told him what i needed and he gave me the plan that he thought was suitable in case like, I had expressed to him something crazy were to happen, um, so I signed up for it, um, but at the time of my accident, you know, I didn't think I had insurance, so I remembered while I had fallen and on the descent that, you know, I would maybe need to go to a hospital, but I was very reluctant on doing so because... I knew the cost that I would incur, and I was afraid to, you know, have that debt and face being in debt for probably the majority of my life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's like so, I mean, it's just so fucked up that in the United States, like people have like a traumatic injury or any sort of traumatic event happen to them, scary diagnoses, like all of Mm -hmm. these things, and then... Just have more, fe- be welcomed with more fear and like hesitation totally. to go and get the he- care that you need. Yeah, it's really alarming. Yeah. So yeah, and so you you describe like feeling like that pretty much immediately after your immediately fall. Yeah. Like you're I, thankful I, you're alive, but you're I, like, I'm fuck, now I'm gonna be dead for yeah. all yeah. my life. Like <laughs> <Totally>. it's like
1: <laughs> I re- I mean I remember telling my climbing partner who was an ER doc, I was like having a general understanding of maybe what my injuries were. I was like, dude, can you just, like, throw me in the back of your truck and, like, drive me home to our hospital that we work at? (laughs) Because I just, like, didn't want to have to pay for that. Being, you know, middle class, low class income, you know, I knew that I would not be able to pay for it.
0: Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So then what – Ended up being the situation you did have insurance at the time of your fall, you didn't. So,
1: this is kind of the fucked up thing that I learned about insurance. Um, well,
0: the um, it like the even more fucked up thing in comparison to like the oh, already yeah. fucked up aspect of just, like just being just worried about paying for something at learning
1: all. Learning how corrupt insurances mm-hmm. are to even begin with. So, after. <laughs> I had gotten home from the hospital, which while in the hospital, these thoughts were still in my mind that I didn't have insurance. Totally. I uh, actually refused, you know, having a good understanding of, you know, what labs and images um, are ordered and, you know, how sometimes a lot of them are unnecessary because, you know, a lot of Physicians the way our medical system is set up are afraid of getting sued as well mm-hmm. So they do these cover your ass, you know tests and orders um, So in the hospital, I was probably kind of a difficult patient, but I was continuously refusing like extra imaging because you know, I thought like I was gonna have to pay for this So I would refuse CTs and refuse labs and I actually, actually signed myself out against medical advice. They wanted to keep me in the hospital for a couple more days, but I, you know, was just adding that up in my mind, a couple more days is going to be, you know, thousands and thousands of more dollars, so I signed myself out against medical advice. But if
0: you sign yourself out against medical advice, isn't there an issue with insurance covering it?
1: I'm not sure about that. Well, but
0: they didn't cover it anyways, right?
1: Yeah. So back to the insurance thing. I got home, and after a couple weeks of being home and being able to actually walk and sit down and, you know, get my fares in order, I started, you know, looking into my insurance and called them and talked to them. And they told me that initially you know my insurance had been processed and gone through but i had given them the wrong credit card information and <laughs>
0: why do they even need your credit card
1: for a direct deposit oh. or or my banking my routing okay number. so they and, haven't charged you yet and so i had you know, when I did give them their banking number, it wasn't that I fill it in manually online. I gave them the numbers over the phone. And so the insurance agent had mistyped the number that I had given them. So they said, oh, yeah, we didn't get your money. And so after that, you know, I... Had this huge debate with them, calling them multiple times,
0: torture, telling them that
1: you know this is on their end, not mine. How can I be at fault for it? And so, you know, after maybe a month of doing that, they approved to back uh, date my insurance and gave me insurance. And so, I submitted my claim for $180,000.
0: Hundred and eighty. Yeah, I thought it was a hundred.
1: No, hundred and eighty. Oh my god, a hundred and eighty thousand
0: dollars. <laughs> hundred
1: eighty thousand dollars, and then you know, takes time for them to process. But then in the mail, they denied my claim, <gasps> and you know, I look through why it was denied, and in the fine print of the you know, insurance, it said that we do not cover accidents for race car driving or climbing accidents. And wow. <laughs> fuck that.
0: they just do everything. This is why we can't have a for-profit medical system because they'll just do everything they can to not cover you. Like yeah. it's beneficial to them to have, Patients paying more money, but then not have to cover anything totally. to, to take all your money, but then not have to spend any money on you. I mean, yeah. that's like their whole business model. That's the business model of insurance people.
1: <laughs> yeah. God. And, and they're just learning all the li- different crap things throughout that process. Like I would call them and be on hold for several hours and then they would just drop my call. Yeah. And they're just praying on you to like give up and just like... Get tired Get yeah. tired of, like, trying to call them and get everything in line versus just doing what they should do as an insurance company and what you pay for and cover
0: your claims. Horrible. Yeah. So. So Medicare for all. <laughs> we need to end all insurance companies. We need to shut them all down. So fucked up. Okay. So insane. Wow. I guess the other question I said you said you like couldn't walk or sit what'd you do when you couldn't walk and sit you like lay on your stomach yeah well lay on your there's side. literally
1: no way to get comfortable and so I basically just laid in bed and you know slept slept horrible TV. and probably the worst of it was like <laughs> you know after being out for like A couple weeks and still not showering. Like, I had to have my mom give me, like, a sponge bath as a grown man, and that was... I mean, what else (laughs) are you going to do? Yeah. So, there's really not much. Um, You know, I had a lot of friends visit, which was rad, and bring me food, and just be able to hang out and talk, but, yeah, it was... Did you
0: take, if you don't mind me asking, did you take, like, painkillers?
1: Yeah, I took it for, like, the first week, which honestly didn't really help and really then, yeah um maybe took it off the edge off a little bit but yeah i i i kind of stopped after like a week just because i don't love pain meds and...
0: well with an injury like that i mean like you know short bursts of pain meds oh, are usually so, pretty hey. safe but an injury like that could yeah. be like a longer yeah. term of taking um, mm-hmm. pain medication because sure. you're in pain for a long time, which is Yeah, I scary. think they're completely yeah. necessary,
1: but just wasn't even helping, so I kind of just...
0: Well, also, it's dangerous because, like, you were in pain for a long time. Oh, uh, yeah. Is what I'm saying. So it's like, yeah. like you know, when you get a surgery and then you take it for, like, a week and then you feel pretty well. Yeah. But you having an injury like that, it's like an orthopedic injury, too. Like, yeah, you, there's a more opportunity for... Addiction to be a oh, problem, sure, yeah. but yeah, that's well. We're glad here that you're that you're okay and yeah, that you made it through. Perfect. And then wait, what happened with the insurance in the end?
1: So they denied my climb two or three times. Um,
0: <laughs> Unbelievable. And
1: so eventually, I just. What
0: about people who have like more busy lives than you and have like kids and shit? Like they just yeah, wouldn't be able to deal with it. It's so uh, insane.
1: And. Um, So I kind of just had this, like, realization that I would be just paying it off for the rest of my life. But then um, my sister found out that on TikTok, actually, crazy enough. Shout out, (laughs)
0: TikTok. (laughs) um,
1: That um, all nonprofit hospitals offer this charity program for people with um large medical bills um that you can apply for if the medical bill is i think it's 30% over your annual income and they will pay up to 90% of your medical bill um so she found that probably like 6 months after my accident and I applied and uh got the grants and they paid 90% of my hospital bill, which wow. I'm very lucky and grateful. And, um, you know, not many people have that granted to them. So,
0: yeah, what's it called? Tell the people we got to <laughs> share this information. It's
1: different for every nonprofit hospital, okay, but, but it's every nonprofit you, yeah, hospital has this. They don't really advertise it, okay. which is kind of crazy. But yeah, if you go on to any of the hospitals web pages and go to the um, charity donations you can look and this one was actually specific for people who work in the medical field too um, so yeah just uh, <laughs> look at their website and yeah if anyone
0: and, has any other resources to help people pay medical bills like drop that in the comments yeah. because that's really important well do you have any other comments
1: um <laughs> Yeah, fuck our healthcare system. But, yeah. Um,
0: Hopefully, there's gonna be people making it better, <laughs> advocating for better systems. Totally. To end for-profit healthcare, like why are people profiting off of taking care of sick people? Like no one should be. It just it's like it's just so. Um, it it just is so nonsensical. Like you just say it, you spell it out. Like it's yeah. just so unethical and insane
1: very unethical and it really i don't know being in the medical profession it has made me like want to steer away from practicing medicine but also motivate me to like i guess you know be more involved in the other side and try to make some sort of change so people don't have to deal with this as much as they already do
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.